This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. The Supreme Court has reached a decision on the landmark Roe v. Wade case. It has been a year since SCOTUS issued one of its most impactful rulings in this generation. And it was a shocking opinion, even though a draft of it leaked to Politico two months ahead of time. Written by Justice Samuel Alito, the 67-page draft opinion is clear, sharp, and scornful, declaring in its opening paragraphs that Roe versus Wade was egregiously wrong from the start. The Dobbs decision essentially overturned the holdings of Roe versus Wade. That last voice was Lee Hasselbacker, the director of CI3 at the University of Chicago, also known by a much longer name, the Center for Interdisciplinary Inquiry and Innovation in Sexual and Reproductive Health. Lee says that the Supreme Court ruling didn't make abortion illegal, but it did eliminate abortion as a constitutional right, which means abortion laws are now up to individual states. And, you know, the idea of the majority was that this will reduce complications, it will return things to the states for them to just decide based on the population in each state um, and their preferences. Um, but as we'll get into, we've seen quite the opposite. It's caused a lot of chaos. A year after that monumental decision, I wanted to check in about the state of abortion rights across the country. And here in Illinois, abortion care is still legal. So we've been considered one of the few safe havens in the Midwest. Lee works with abortion providers in Illinois, and we're going to get into some of what she's been hearing from them. But before that, let's start with the initial fallout from when the Dobbs decision first came down. There were some states that had laws on the books previously that basically jumped back into action. Mm -hmm. A number of other states actually took this opportunity to pass new laws, pass new bans on abortion, whether complete bans or bans at six months, things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, and, you know, as of this morning, 14 states have bans in effect, complete bans. Georgia has a six-week ban in effect. Florida just passed a six-week ban, so that'll go into effect in July. And South Carolina also just passed a six-week ban, and that is um, currently being litigated. So, again, right now, 14 states have bans in effect, but there are definitely more that are pending. We're going to get into Illinois in a second here, but let's get into the neighboring states around Illinois. How does how has this impacted folks who were providing abortion care um, and now that's that being restricted? Yeah, um, Wisconsin, I think, is a really clear example because they really went from having a few clinics where people could get abortion care to none. Um, the providers were you know, forced to shut down their clinics and send patients to states like Illinois that did have access. Um, so there was kind of a scramble there was a lot of confusion in state like Indiana and Ohio because it was unclear what their laws were going to look like right away. Um, those states right now do have access to abortion. So um, there's some litigation and ongoing um, debate about you know when that might change. But for right now, that you can access abortion in those states. So there was a lot of confusion, though, for, for people who were yeah. even, um, you know, can, can I still seek care in Indiana? Do I have to come to Illinois? 
fortunately, Michigan, uh, you know, was also a state that there was a lot of um, debate about what would happen, but they have recently affirmed that they will continue having the right to abortion there. So the Midwest for now uh, actually looks a little better than people anticipated when when the Dobbs decision first came down, Mm. but um, definitely still, you know, a lot of questions about access in the, you know, southern Midwestern area. So like Kentucky, Louisiana, Mm. Tennessee, things like that. There's a lot of restrictions there. Um, So... Let's get into Illinois. Um, It's kind of seen as this safe haven um, state for abortion care. We're like an island surrounded by states with varying levels of restrictions on reproductive health care. How much is Illinois a safe haven really, though? I guess I want to kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah, it is a very safe haven at this moment. Um, There's been a lot of good groundwork that's been done even before the Dobbs decision to ensure that there is a right to abortion in Illinois. So there was a distinct effort to make sure that these rights were part of Illinois law. And then even after the decision, there's been a number of laws passed or just even um, actions taken by the governor's office to protect providers and patients in the state. What has the impact been on providers in Illinois having to really do a lot, I, I assume, and actually we've been reporting on a lot more abortion care than they had been before all this? We've heard from a number of providers really trying to both increase the capacity of their clinics, whether that means adding appointment times or additional hours on the weekend. Um, some clinics have built new new facility sites as part of their um, networks or some new clinics have actually opened up. Mm. Um, for instance, there's been a, at least one clinic open in Carbondale, which um, is on the Amtrak line from Memphis and Jackson and New Orleans. Oh, okay. um, so there's been some strategic, strategic yeah, exactly, <laughs> some strategic new clinic locations um, to really try to absorb some of this um, demand. But at the same time, there's been We've heard from providers increased stress in terms of both the providers themselves and the patients they're seeing who are having to travel longer distances, navigate a lot more in order just to get there. So um, I think there's, you know, a lot of goodwill right now and a lot of support and a lot of, um, you know, attention being paid to this. But I think people are hoping that continues because um, the the number of people coming to seek care is not going to decrease. Okay, Can you talk about some of the efforts to protect abortion providers who treat out-of-state patients who come here to Illinois for abortion care. Yeah, and this is an area that I've kind of um, been following pretty closely as someone who has a law background but works in the OB-GYN department with my colleagues there and does research on this because I think it's also an area that's been underappreciated in terms of the effects. So Mm. uh, a lot of providers are really concerned about making sure they are complying with the law. So they want to make sure they're complying with Illinois law. They want to make sure they're complying with federal law. They want to make sure they're complying with the laws of states nearby that they might also have license Mm in. Um, They want to make sure that, you know, they're not endangering their patients with any actions that they take. So there's been a lot of conversations about how do we make sure we're complying with all the laws. So an example of this is with with the drug mifepristone. So what happens is you take the drug mifepristone um, and then usually, like within the next 24 hours, you take four more pills of mesoprostol and that can start the abortion process. Okay. Um, and what in the past, you know, providers had done is they would give them the mifepristone in the clinic and then give them the prescription or the actual mesoprostol pills to take home when they were ready to begin the rest of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there was a concern for a while, like, can we do that? Can we send patients home with these medications if they're going to go home to Indiana or if they're going to go home to Wisconsin? Will some, you know, aggressive prosecutor say you are taking these pills in a state where abortion is legal and therefore you've, you know, violated our laws and not only are 
potentially you in trouble, but the provider who was the one who gave them to you, even if the provider did so in a state where it is still legal. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of concern among providers, like how do we navigate mm. this? What should we do? How yeah. should we be advising our patients? You know, just all of this uncertainty has yeah. really, you know, weighed on providers and particularly on providers who maybe were even just more adjacent to abortion care that weren't always involved in, on a daily basis or like that maybe referred patients that, you know, once in a while for care. So mm-hmm. um, I've heard from providers, especially in states where it is restricted, a lot of moral distress, basically, like, you know, when can I provide care? So this is something that's come up. We've done research with um, providers in religious hospitals who have restrictions on abortion care, but have carve outs for certain exceptions, like if the mother's life is in danger, if there's no viability of the fetus, if they have such, you know, extreme health conditions. Um, and so some of those same questions are not coming up under uh, under these states that have restrictive laws. So, um, you know, I'm hearing from even providers in our state, they're getting referrals from their colleagues in other states saying, I have this patient, she has this, you know, life-threatening condition or like very dangerous condition. She clearly needs abortion care. Uh, I don't feel comfortable providing it in my hospital, mm-hmm. in my state, because I'm afraid it's going to be considered an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have to refer that patient to travel. And then, you know, the providers feel horrible, you know, telling the patient that the patient feels stigmatized and, you know, like I have to flee my state to get, you know, pregnancy related care that and often it's, you know, in these in these types of situations, it's for a pregnancy that was wanted and it's, you know, something's come up where they now need to seek care. Yeah. Yeah. I know that Illinois has been working on some efforts to protect those providers in at least some of those situations. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to some of those efforts? Yeah. So the state has passed some laws that attempt to shield um, providers here who are providing lawful care from, you know, prosecution in other states or laws that would say we're not going to share records with these other states that are trying to prosecute um, providers or even patients. They've tried to establish some, like, privacy protections um, for patients in, like, medical records and things like that. Yeah. There's a um, license plate. Yeah. They just, yeah, there was just legislation that would limit sort of license plate reading um, to be able to, you know, track if people are crossing state lines, things like that. Um, We will say, you know, it kind of remains to be seen whether these are going to be effective. You know, it's going to be state versus state, you know, Mm -hmm. laws competing against each other. And I think that's also where the federal government is going to kind of come into play, too. Like, what can they be doing to basically shield providers from having to share information about their patients seeking care in lawful states um, with prosecutions or investigations that might be happening in other states. But, you know, a lot of this is uncharted territory. There aren't really any areas of the law that are so, um, where the state laws are so different from each other that we're really going to have to see how how it plays out. Yeah. Um, from the patient perspective, first of all, where are most of these patients coming from when they're coming to Illinois? Um, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, we're trying to get a sense of that better. There's some um, reports that are are being done where people are tracking the volume of patients in different states. So we know for sure that Illinois is seeing two to maybe even 3,000 more people per month than they used to see. Um, just anecdotally, we know from our providers, they're coming from everywhere. Like they're coming from Tennessee, Kentucky, um, the southern states, they're coming from Texas, they're coming from even further, you know, than you would imagine, like, definitely beyond driving distance, some people are flying to Chicago. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's really been surprising, I think, and it depends on lots of things. So, you know, is it 
because they're maybe later in pregnancy, so they need to go to a city center like Chicago where there's mm-hmm. more options. Mm-hmm. Are they, you know, do they know people in Chicago versus, you know, yeah. so in southern part of the state? Maybe they can stay with friends or family here. Um, yeah, people are definitely traveling further than you would even expect. Yeah, for some for some people, traveling is a pretty extreme exactly. measure, depending exactly. on you know where you are socioeconomically um, or with family obligations and, and anything else. Um, and it's just really taken me back to like the horror stories, you know, I would hear about folks um, trying to access abortion care before Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if you're hearing of of any trouble, unsafe measures. Mm-hmm. I mean, stories about people really yeah. running into really bad trouble when they're trying to access abortion care um, and they aren't able to do it in a safe way. Yeah, we haven't heard as much of that. And I mean, the good news um, is that there are there are these medication options that are either available through, um, you know, sort of your typical online platforms. Like there's one called Hey Jane, there's one called Choice, um, and they offer it, you know, through providers. Um, fortunately, yeah, that's it's something that we haven't heard as much, you know, again, pre-Roe, there was like really horrible stories. So um, that's a little bit of a change. But I, I think there's still, like you said, so many other challenges and burdens that are coming up for people who, you know, you, you just say, oh, go travel to get your abortion in a state that allows it. And that's like a huge thing for people with children, for people with jobs that don't allow for time off or, you know, people don't have the means to do it. So, yeah, in a report that, that just came out um, recently that there's an estimate of roughly 25,000 people who um, would likely did not get an abortion that were seeking one. So in the nine months post-Dobbs, you know, looking at monthly numbers, they are estimating that there are 25,000 fewer people um, that were able to access abortion. Yeah. It's hard to capture, I think, the chaos of it. So that's that's the thing I, I you know, we hear from people who are answering the phones, for example, at, like I said, the Chicago Abortion Fund, and they're having to, you know, not just help these patients make appointments, which is what they used to do, and they would offer them financial assistance to maybe cover costs that needed. They're really becoming like travel agents and social workers <laughs> and support staff because they have to you know, hold their hand and help them, you know, think about how are you going to travel? Where are you going to go? How much time is it going to take? You know, what are you, who are you going to have to involve in your life maybe that you wouldn't have otherwise involved because now you need support. Um, And so I think, you know, all of that on the individual patient is, you know, the the burdens are increasing and, you know, they're obviously increasing on people who are already facing difficulty. So the the folks that can access it easily, we're always able to access it easily. Mm -hmm. Um, So, when the Dobbs decision came out and, and Roe was overturned, a lot of the folks that were in favor of that said, we're going to, you know, increase supports for families. We're going to increase supports for pregnant women. And, you know, we're going to have all of this new support. And, you know, we've seen really none of that. We haven't seen those states extend paid parental leave. We haven't seen those states even um, expand Medicaid or other support services for families. So um, I think thinking about the challenges that patients are facing, not only to access abortion, but the challenges they're facing if they are carrying pregnancies and adding to their families. Because I think that's another important point that I always try mm-hmm. to bring up is people who get abortions are, are people who have kids and they already. already got kids. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they're like, I've done this. I don't think I, know. I can do this. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> um, and so really, um, we haven't seen any of that. And again, especially in the states that have, have complete bans, there's really been no expansion of supports for families. What would it take to codify the right to abortion into law around the nation? 
I think the the best thing would be a constitutional amendment at this point. I think that you'd need um, that language enshrined in the Constitution to really uh, feel confident that it was a right that was protected. Um, that's probably a very you know long term um, yeah. goal. But you know there could be there could be federal legislation. They could pass a law that says you have the right to abortion or you have the right to abortion under these circumstances. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's what it would take at this point, and I think there would probably have to be a lot of political will. Mm-hmm. For that. Lee Hasselbacker is the director of CI3 at the University of Chicago. Lee, thank you so much. Of course, thank you. You can find other reporting from my colleagues, both at WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times, as we mark one year since the Dobbs decision. Go to WBEZ.org and Chicago.SunTimes.com for more on that. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Justin also engineered this episode and our theme music is by Louis Weeks. We love to hear from you as well what's on your mind in this one-year post-Roe era. Email us with your thoughts, questions, and what you want to hear on The Rundown at therundownpod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Oh.